Let me tell you a tale of a man named Potter who went to a place called the Winter City before he'd even learned how to do magic. And in a place called Erstersund, he took a team from the 4th Division to the 1st. He won a cup and he bested a giant beast called Arsenal in its lair. He became a master of swans and then worked out a way to make seagulls soar higher than people ever thought possible. But with fame as a wizard comes temptation. Potter was offered riches and glamour. Who wouldn't accept that, right? Now dark clouds have formed above him. There is anger and frustration. Will our hero find a way to prevail or will he tumble into the Stamford Bridge pit of doom as so many have before him? Basically, will Chelsea beat Borussia Dortmund? I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. Our very own Dumbledore, Mark O'Hare, ready to weave his tipping magic. Uh, Mark Chelsea, arguably the better team in Dortmund, but failed to take their chances. And this is a Dortmund team that's won all 10 of its competitive games in 2023. Yeah, firstly, uh, shout out for uh, an amazing intro there. I don't know who Thank Dumbledore you. is, but um, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> Dumbledore. Um, yes, Dumbledore. That's it. Yeah, yeah. What, what did you call me? D- Dumbledore from oh, door. Harry okay. Potter, not right, Dumbledore, okay. but <laughs> okay. I'm mean, I'm looking forward to the knockoff Harry Potter where Dumbledore. <laughs> Don't know what it means, but I'll, yeah. I'll crack on. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is the most difficult of the of the four second legs actually to try and analyse because um, I found the first leg actually tricky as well. I recommended Chelsea plus a quarter on our preview show and felt hard done by actually to lose out on that match because. Um, I don't think it was just sour grapes, but Chelsea dominated the majority of that match. Um, they had 21 shots, 2.2 expected goals, three big chances. I think they had eight shots on target, which might be their highest um, figure away from home in a Champions League knockout tie in history. Um, but they still lost 1-0. Uh, and the goal they gave away was terribly poor from, from their perspective. And um, But yeah, I mean, it's their record in front of goal that's been called into question, uh, mostly during the Potter era. Uh, We've seen that story well before with Brighton, but uh, 10 blanks now in the last 15 games. Just six goals scored in the five games that they've actually found the back of the net in, uh, one of which arrived at the weekend against Leeds in that 1-0 win, just their third win in 16 games. Um, So in that regard, I think it's very difficult to sit here and say Chelsea are value at odds on, um, especially so with Dortmund obviously in the best form of, of the season, results-wise. Um, across all top five leagues in Europe, actually, they're in the best form. The win over Leipzig on Friday, as you say, was their 10th across all comps uh, since the winter break. Their 8th successive in the Bundesliga, which equals a club record too. Uh, the Leipzig match was as thrilling as we hoped it would be. Uh, a brilliant watch. It's kind of slightly ruined by the... Um, unlistenable awfulness of the commentator on that match <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah yeah i hate that guy yeah he's terrible <laughs> hopefully not an in joke someone saw kev's twitter feed on friday night but um, yes i had a fan get in touch with me after the uh, dortmund leipzig game just to just to say how much he enjoyed the commentary <laughs> but um yeah i mean it wasn't just game state i don't think i, I thought leipzig were, were slightly hard done by with the result i thought they did more than enough to deserve something out of that game they put dortmund under lots of pressure fashioned plenty of goal scoring opportunities 17 shots overall three big chances uh 2.24 expected goals 
Um, normally, you would expect that Dortmund defence to creak, uh, but I thought Sula, Schotterbeck, and actually the standing goalkeeper Meyer stood very strong. Uh, perhaps that's kind of just narrative driven by the by the outcome, because if Leipzig had found an equaliser, perhaps I'd be saying something different. But I'm still not quite in the trusting phase for Dortmund as being a, a kind of strong, robust team to go away from yeah. home and, and confidently shut out teams, regardless of their of who they are or where they come from, really. So, um but I guess it's worth saying that Dortmund's matches have been a little bit less helter-skelter this calendar year. Um, and look, they'll be confident. They went to the Etihad this season and gave Man City a real headache before a late turnaround as well. So they do have pedigree under Terzic. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of do fancy Chelsea, but I just can't kind of pull the trigger on that price. So I've gone elsewhere, really. Um, if I'm having a bet on this match... I like the look of João Felix to score. Um, he has been a consistent bright spark for Chelsea since signing. He's had three shots or more in all his starts bar the weekend where he had two. He came off after an hour for a rest with this match in mind. Hit the bar in the reverse game when he really should have scored. Hit the bar again at the weekend. He's been really lively. Chelsea are odds on to win. They're chasing the tie. The market expects them to score at least twice. João Felix is 23 to 10 to score at any time. So you kind of weigh it all up. I think that's a, a nice value price. And uh, if you dig into the, the fouls market as well on Betfair, on the Bet Builder, um, there's a few different combinations which really do stand out. But the three I've picked out for, for an even money shot are Emre Chan to commit at least one foul, Jude Bellingham to commit one foul or more, uh, and João Felix as well to commit at least one foul. Um, both pretty sort of foul heavy. Obviously, you've got the two sort of workhorses in the Dortmund midfield there. They'll be doing their utmost to, to keep Chelsea out. And, and João Felix, as well as being a live bar, a bit of a spark, uh, does tend to put his foot in and, and kind of collect uh, needless fouls. A bit like his strike partner, Kai Havertz, but uh, João Felix is a, a much better price. Our answer to Hermione Granger, Jake Oscarthorpe from InfoGoal's been doing his homework diligently. He's had all the books stacked up. Uh, Chelsea odds on to win this second leg. Mark's right. It, it, you know, you can understand why that might be the case. But I have watched a lot of Dortmund in 2023. They've been fortunate at times, no question about that. They've come through some really tight games. What I've noticed in the last few games, though, is a bit more belief and they do dig in. Schlotterbeck is a maniac sometimes. Like, he, you know, he's sliding into people. He's, you know, thumping his chest and all of this. The fans absolutely love him. Rightly so. But in you strip away all those histrionics and there's a really good defender there. So this is a Dortmund team that started to defend set pieces properly, started to win games regularly and started to win tight games regularly. It is, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think the... A kind of constant though throughout is that they do concede chances. Yeah. Um, even since the restart, where they've obviously won all the matches, they've, they've been shipping plenty of decent opportunities, especially against better teams that they've played. You know, Leipzig put up over two expected goals uh, on Friday. In the in the reverse game, Chelsea hit over two expected goals as well. So the you know the, while they are heading in a really decent direction and they are winning games, um, I'd. I'd be surprised if that continued, if they continue in the same kind of manner and the same kind of form and sure generate the same kind of process. Um, because you know, they, they are winning narrow games or, or games by narrow margins, and you, you know, you generally expect quite a, generally um, a bit of regression throughout the season in terms of those one score um wins. Um, you know, I, I think i am not got enough trust here to back Chelsea, even saying all that. I, I just think that they are a a team with so many question marks and caveats around them at the moment. Um, just you know, from a from a data perspective, the last eight matches across Premier League and Champions League, um, Chelsea have, they've scored just three goals, which is a paltry effort. 
But those three goals have come from 12.6 expected goals. So there's a Whoa. massive disconnect. <laughs> Um, you know, and I, I, you know, there's is many... Potter unlucky then? It's because all of the heat is coming on to Potter, right? Everybody's like, "Boo, he's rubbish, get rid of him." And actually, they're creating the chances, but these bozos just keep hitting the bar or missing or whatever. There's nothing he can do about that, is there? Um, well, uh, there's two trains of thought. So the first is that the players aren't finishing, um, and you know, I've done some digging into the post XG. And the from those eight matches, their post-shot expected goals uh, was actually seven. So they've reduced their pre-shot XG by 44% across those matches, which is a ridiculous number. And it does highlight that there is a finishing issue across the players. The other train of so, thought... Sorry, sorry, just to dig into that, Jake. That means then players are getting into what you would say are good shot locations and then making a mess of the finish. Is that basically what those figures are telling us? Yeah, yeah, basically. They're either, they're either missing the target with decent opportunities or, you know, the, the precision on the finish is not very good. There's not enough power to be at the goalkeeper, those kind of things. That's all taken into account with the post-shot XG. Um, and then just, just going back a little bit, even though they have generated 12.6 XG across those eight matches and they've only scored three goals, that process is still not very good. So if you do it as a per-game average, it's 1.58 expected goals for per game. So while there is a disconnect between goals and XG, the general process is still not at a level of a, an Arsenal, a Liverpool, a Man City from an attacking standpoint. The other train of thought is that because Potter's gone so back to basics with Chelsea, and, and it might just be a Potter-style thing in general, is that the build-up is just so slow and sluggish that by the time a shot gets into a decent location, there's that many bodies behind the ball, that a shot with an XG of 0.5, because there's maybe two sets of players behind there or you know six players in between the, the ball and the goal, because of the sluggish build-up and the way in which they've actually, you know, been really slow in generating that chance, it's given the the defense a chance to get tight and make it really difficult. That actually a 0.5 uh, xG worth of chance for a Chelsea or for a Potter team is actually not worth as much as a team that you know any other team because they are taking so long to get into those scoring positions that it does give the opponents a really strong chance to get into a decent kind of set formation um, to make it even more difficult. So I, I'm starting to believe a little bit more it, it's that as opposed to the finishing because we're starting, we've seen over a long period of time now from Potter, you know, every single week we came on this podcast when Brighton were involved and it was Brighton didn't finish the chances, they racked up so much XG, they should have won the game. And it's starting to happen at Chelsea. And, you know, ultimately the, the, the one common denominator over this three-year span is Graham Potter. So it may be something more to do with Potter's style that XG doesn't quite pick up on or it's perhaps rating chances higher than what they should be um, given the different um, kind of things that we can take into account. Um, so, yeah, that, I do think there is, we've seen it when you watch the eye test, you do see, you know, like the Felix Havertz, they have missed good chances, but as a general big body of work, I think there is probably a little bit more digging needs to be done as to, why over a three-year period in the Premier League has Graham Potter's Brighton, Graham Potter's Chelsea underscored by such a, an incredible margin? Um, and yeah, I, I don't expect that to change here. I think obviously the, 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 the game state requires Chelsea to kind of open up and have a go because they've got to win the match, um, even by 1-0. But it, it, do you trust them to score two goals in a game? Probably, like, I don't. Uh, like I've said, even if you just take the raw XG figures, that average of 1.6 per game is just not very good. Like, 
it's it's probably you know if you're looking at Premier League level, it's top six. It's not top four. It's not top two. It's nowhere near that kind of level. Um, but then on the flip side, the defence has been really good, and that's kind of something that we've seen over a long period of time with Potter as well. Is that defensively his teams are very strong in terms of not laying up chances, and again that comes down to that slow, patient build up. The fact they don't let the other team have the ball to create the chances, and that they are good in dealing with the transitions when they do lose the ball. Um, so over the last eight games, Chelsea have allowed just 0.95 expected goals against per game. They've conceded just five goals. So in total, the, their eight matches across Premier League and Champions League, seven Prem, obviously one Champions League, they've seen just eight goals, which is just remarkably low. Um, and, and you know, to see the under two and a half goals trading odds against on the exchange. I know that there's obviously, I've said, game state where Chelsea have to attack, you think. But the unders is just just too big of a price. You know, we've seen a, a huge sample size now of Potter under Chelsea. And the amount of low-scoring games is, is you know, well, for example, that all, all eight matches have gone unders, the last eight matches. So that's a I real... feel like that was true under Tuchel, right? I feel like we were talking about that a lot under Thomas Tuchel as well, that Chelsea had become an unders team because he just couldn't get them to score consistently. Exactly. Um, and I think that there's probably similarities in the two coaches in the sense that um, that they are defence, not not quite defence minded, but they are defence first. They want to keep make sure they've got a really solid platform, a solid foundation to then create upon. Um, and, you know, generally, even when Brighton were flying under Graham Potter, you know, how many times did we see them win by two or three goal margins? It was very little. Like, it was always a 1-0 or a 2-1. I mean, there's probably a couple I could think of off the top of my head where was it... 5-2 against Leicester earlier in this season, for example. Um, but yeah, even even Tuchel at Chelsea, it was always a 1-0, like 2-1, 2-0 maybe, a uh, push. Um, and it was almost that kind of controlled. It wasn't, it wasn't, you'd never see them go out and kill a team like Liverpool did the other day against Man United. Yeah. You'd never see them go and do that. It was more, can you conserve a bit of energy? Can you keep things nice and tight, controlled, and just, just, just win matches? Because at the end of the day, I mean, I know this is knockout football, but, you know, win's a win. It doesn't matter if it comes by a 1-0 or a 7-0. It's still, whether in the league, it's three points. In the Champions League, obviously, um, two 1-0 wins puts you through. So, yeah, I, I think this unders trend is going to continue. Um, I, Dortmund will try and play on the counter-attack. They had success. Obviously, the goal came from a counter-attack in the reverse game. Um, they might get one or two opportunities like that. But I, I just think from a price play perspective, the, the 2.04 is what it's trading at at the moment for the under 2.5. It just looks massive given... Chelsea's attacking issues, really. Um, and, yeah, defensively, they have looked strong. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was 0-0. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a 1-0 Chelsea win like it was at the weekend. I wouldn't be surprised if it's 1-0 Dortmund either. Well, our potions master is Emmett O'Keefe. He brewed up a lovely 12-1 uh, to 1 Eder Militao to score winner uh, the last time we were on together for a Champions League preview. Emmett, this is a really interesting one for me because if you look at the weekend... When Chelsea played Leeds, man alive, that was nervy. And I, I can't see this being any different because I think unless Chelsea make a brilliant start and get the crowd going, I just think it's going to be, you'll hear the murmurs, you'll hear the tension. If Dortmund can keep it tight for quite a while or, or if even Dortmund score first, I mean, the place is just going to be bedlam, isn't it? Definitely, yeah, I think. Firstly, I'm just glad uh, you didn't compare me to Draco Malfoy or Neville Longbottom, <laughs> one of those types. Um, you know who they are, Mark? I was kind. Yeah, you were kind. Um, the, I think just, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. And it was just really interesting what the, 
what Jake said about kind of Potter's XG trends. It's something I've always felt as kind of a somebody who looks at the statistics. I'd much rather say if you'd two expected goals in a match, I'd much rather from a if I was supporting a team that those kind of XG came from maybe five shots rather than like ten or twelve shots. Because ultimately if you if you've tw- if you've twelve shots that are maybe point that are kind of maybe point one or kind of point two XG, you're kind of you're constantly having these kind of not great chances which you're relying on going in, as opposed to really kind of creating these really great chances and then uh, and then kind of the, I think I, generally I think that's probably has been lower variance that that's my kind of it's not not based on anything but just 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 my intuition and as just watching the Potter sides like if you have territorial dominance constantly it's hard to create space like and that's what the kind of the potter method is under brighton and with chelsea it's like the turning these games into like half court kind of basketball style games where the opposition is kind of penned in but it is but that that does kind of make it make it a little bit harder to kind of to create great chances and we're kind of i think we're seeing that i think brighton brighton even though roberto de serbi hasn't been there for that long they're already a much better attacking team i think than they ever were under potter to be honest uh, potter definitely has strengths but i think there's there's still like development on, on his part in terms of the kind of the, the attacking side of the game um but just for this game specifically i kind of i'm i, I would i'm also worried like the lads about dortmund stepping up in class as lads have said like that they Dortmund were lucky in the first leg they were lucky against leipzig even against Bayer leverkusen uh which is their other kind of tricky tricky away game they've had since the christmas break they won 2-0 but they lost the xg battle fairly convincingly again so i just there's the, the 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 three times Dortmund have kind of stepped up in class since the break, they've they've kind of lost the XG battle significantly. So I think that that would make me very hesitant to kind of to trust them away from home. But like like Marco Hare said, it's hard to get involved with Chelsea at at kind of at at one point nine. Like I think it's one point nine one nine three or whatever or whatever they are now. It's kind of given their issues with goal scoring. Um, just it is noticeable though with Chelsea that something that we look at as as kind of traders in terms of indicators of future performance are kind of closing prices. So what's the what are the match prices at kickoffs an individual match? And Chelsea have been kind of trading quite short, and especially we kind of saw that against. Um, we, we would have seen that against uh, against Tottenham White Hart Lane. It didn't kind of result in anything, but I just that, that's something that's in the back of my head that the market is kind of expecting Chelsea to improve. But yeah, I, I pretty I, I wouldn't have a strong opinion on how this will game will go. Very very kind of very much a knife edge. If you're doing a bet builder, though, I'd probably look at Bet Chilwell to have a shot on target around nine to four. Just he's playing in a wing back role now, and he had kind of two shots the weekend. I expect him to bomb forward in a game that kind of Chelsea need goals in. Yeah, I'd be looking at uh, somebody like Julian Brandt maybe to uh, get involved as well. He's been excellent in the last month or so. He scored in four of his last five Bundesliga games. He had a goal ruled out for handball against Leipzig on Friday. He's been playing very well indeed. We are making a few changes to our great daily offers here at Betfair. You now have to opt in to promotions to enjoy the rewards available on the Sportsbook and Exchange. You can opt in quickly and easily by clicking a promotional banner or going straight to the promotions page and clicking opt in. There's a step-by-step guide on betting.com betfair.com. Benfica already 2-0 up from the first leg as they face Club Brugge. Jake, it's fair to say Scott Parker has not had the impact in Belgium that he hoped to make. <laughs> yeah, I think you're putting that lightly. Um, <laughs> it's been a really, really bad appointment. Um, Dress is well though, right? He always looks smart, yeah. He definitely gets bonus points for that. Um, unfortunately, you don't get bonus points in any league table for that, um, which is a problem. No. But yeah, 
they were comfortably second best in that first game. Um, it wasn't even a contest, really. I think you know, I was very bullish about Benfica's chance to qualify in the market. Obviously, had them as really short favourites, um, and they, you know, they did exactly what we expected. They went there, um, and they probably should have won by a wider margin. I mean, the XG total was uh, 0.4 to three, so two nil probably was a little bit. You know, it's probably the, the the worst kind of outcome that they could have hoped for, given all the opportunities that they created. Um, yeah, I've, I've no reason to think that there'd be any kind of miraculous comeback um, from Bruges in this one. I think it's also worth pointing out that despite them actually reaching this stage, their performances in the Champions League have been shocking, like really bad. Um, you know, they, they had a couple of good results. Obviously, they beat Porto. Was- I mean, they did win 4-0 at Porto, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, but apart from that, they've been absolutely shocking. You know, they, they lost the, they've lost the XG battle in all of the games in the Champions League. Um you know, apart from that one game where they won 4-0, which does look like a complete fluke. Um, they got a point at Atletico Madrid, a game that the XG was 3 to 0.3. Um, and then got obviously spanked by Porto in the reverse game, 4-0. Um, so yeah, the, the, the signs were there that even before Parker came in, that they weren't, you know, they were very fortunate to have qualified um, for this stage. And, and Benfica have looked like a team that, um, you know, that, I mean, that just, just look at basic form. They, they topped a group with PSG, I know Juventus aren't the same side as what what they have been, but you know they they comfortably. No, they were brilliant. They were brilliant in that group stage. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, it's just a, you know I, like personally, I haven't got a bet in this one because I just think that you know the market is fairly accurate in terms of where the two teams are at. Um, I, I'd be hesitant back in Benfica on any handicap just in case they rest and rotate, which could be potentially a possibility if they think they've got a, a foot in the in the next round already. Um, yeah, it, you know. I, I'd be surprised if they did that, though, with a Champions League quarterfinal on the line. I couldn't see Roger Schmidt weakening it too much. Not, not too much, but um, you know, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if there was, you know, if, if it came to an hour and, and then people were taken off. And you know, if anyone's got knocks, then would you risk them? Um, congested fixture list that's approaching. Uh, you know, I, I personally. It's just how do you get Benfica on side for me uh, in this game? And, and all of all the avenues, there's, there's none that's really taken my fancy at a price. I feel like one of you tipped up Joao Mario to score maybe ahead of the first leg. Yes, I knew, I knew somebody had. Uh, yeah, Dumbledore did it again. Look, that might be the way to go again, right? Because he's been he's been excellent in the last few weeks, and maybe you know when when sometimes we expect Benfica to kind of cruise through. Goal scorers might be the way to go. How would you approach this, Mark? Um, I've been waiting patiently because um, I don't want to talk about Benfica. I just want to put the knife back into Scott Parker again, if, if I may. Excellent. Um, they lost 3-0 to Ustend at the weekend, didn't they? Yeah, uh, it's unforgivable, really. Um, there's already talk that he might not uh, last uh, the next week or so um, because of that result. And, uh, you know, we talked about it on the fir- before the first segment, the decision to sack Carl Hufkins around Christmas time after a, a small blip and, and loss of form felt very premature. Yeah. But to replace him with Parker uh, just blows my mind really um there's a head coach right now who's talking to Aberdeen called Chris Wilder um who's struggling to get a job in England who would be head and shoulders above yeah. Scott Parker in the list of potential candidates if he wanted to come to to these shores for a, for a head coach um they've won twice since Hufkins was sacked um all the underlying metrics suggest they're a, a bang average mid-table team in Belgium right now which is just a million miles away from a team who should be dominating the division, challenging for top honours and at least European qualification. And they're not doing that right now. And, you know, the, the biggest 
uh, unsurprised if I can say that um, about them under Scott Parker is they're a team that dominates the ball without any sort of uh, penetration whatsoever. We've seen this story many, many times before. On Friday in that defeat against Oostend, they had 69% of the ball convincingly lost the expected goals battle, the shots battle, the shots on target battle, and the big chance count. They had 69% of the ball against a team who started the weekend in the bottom two and had four shots from inside the penalty area. Just pathetic. Wow. Um, <laughs> in the first leg at home, first leg European knockout tie, a great opportunity against, you know, you've avoided the likes of City and Bayern Munich and PSG or whoever else. You've got an opportunity here. They had one shot from inside the box. They had one shot on target, which came inside the first five minutes and nothing after that. They had one shot inside the box at home. Benfica had 11. Um, wow. It's just absolutely an abomination, really. Uh, and as you know, you guys have said, Benfica just ticking over very nicely domestically. There's an awesome foursome going forward of Rafa Silva, Gonzalo Ramos, Mario and David Neres as well, working really well together. They've got a 19-year-old centre-half, Antonio Silva, who looks like the next best thing on the He's conveyor belt. He's great. He's oh, really he's, good. Yeah. He's immense. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't normally like backing a team with a two-goal head start from the first leg going into a second leg when they don't need to win. But their home record this season reads 15 wins, two draws and zero defeats. I think it's a formality they go through. And I think they probably will get the win here too as well. So on the exchange, you can back Benfica and under three and a half goals at 2.3, which I thought was was fair enough. I did really want to get João Mario on side. He was 4.5 ahead of that first leg, but price has been cut dramatically since then. He is on set pieces, on penalties as well. Joint top goal scorer, um, just having an outstanding campaign, sort of playing on, on the left of a, a front three behind the, the lone striker. So, yeah, he scored in a four of six group games as well, scored in the first leg. So, um, yeah, one to one to keep an eye out, maybe in the shots market, if, if there's better value there than the anytime goal scorer. But fully expect Benfica to, to do the business. As a complete aside, unless you're watching this, which of course you now have the option of doing uh, many of with many of our shows, you won't have seen Jake lift the biggest bottle I think I've ever seen. What is that you're drinking out of? Show me this. This bottle's got so much attention oh recently. God, it's yeah. enormous. It's not that big. What's in that? Just, just water. Yeah. Just it's, water. Um, it's a water bottle. Yeah. It's one and a half litres. It means I don't have to get up every 10 minutes to fill it up. Wow, so so, just fill right. it up twice a day, and I'm good. I've got my three liters. I'm good. Okay, so while Jake drinks from his industrial vat of water, <laughs> uh, Emmett, uh, there's no chance at all for Club Brugge, is there? They, I mean, they're trash. <laughs> Absolutely, as as Mark, Mark, uh, Jake laid out how, how poor team, how poor team this is. I'm, yeah, if you come did the research over the last twenty years, there haven't been many more more poor teams than could than Club Brugge who've re- reached the last sixteen. Yeah, and it was interesting what kind of Mark O'Hare said about comparing Chris Wilder to Scott Parker. It does maybe bring me back to um, a Simon Cooper kind of book about kind of uh, soccer soccernomics about kind of how certain managers are kind of more fashionable than others, and that leads to chairman higher than Mick Scott Parker. He looks the part, like he's he's a former English international, and he's like he he presents well, but the reality and, and presents better in, in, in a kind of a job interview maybe than Chris Wilder. But I think I think definitely if I was looking if I was the championship club looking to hire somebody, I'd much rather hire Wilder than Parker. Um, yeah, I've I've no kind of 
no strong, strong opinion on this game. It's, but I think if, if you're looking to get Benfica on side, maybe them to win the first half might be decent value. You're getting, you're, you, um, they're around five to six to do that on, on the sports book. And just that could mitigate you against, you could say if, if Benfica are up, maybe maybe one nil with half an hour to go, they might could rest, rest their frontline players. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's pretty the way I'd look. But I, 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 I am, after this ties over, I'm really intrigued to see Benfica step up in class because I think their their statistics uh, in terms of the Portuguese league are far better than the, your traditional team that are topping the Portuguese league. They're they're outstanding in the group stages. As I said on, on the, the, our preview podcast for the last sixteen, it's just a pity Enzo Fernandez left because I think if he yeah. stayed, we could be looking at a kind of a repeat of Mourinho's Porto. But even still, I wouldn't rule them out. I, I, I maybe. Against Man City, I think they're a live dog against a lot of sides in, in, in the last eight. So I'm really look, looking forward to see how, how they get on. Let's move to Wednesday then. It feels like Tottenham's clash with Milan is pretty much make or break for their season in many ways. I know they're still in the mix for the top four, but I think the psychological damage of going out at this stage of the Champions League would be enormous. Spurs 1-0 down from the first leg against a Milan side that did lose at the weekend, 2-1 at Fiorentina, but in general have improved in recent weeks after an awful start to 2023. Mark, it is so difficult to read Spurs at the moment. They had their moments against Wolves at the weekend. I think they hit the bar twice, didn't they? Or certainly hit the frame of the goal twice. But they're evens to win this second leg, and that feels awfully short to me. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I completely agree on my notes. I've got Tottenham are becoming the most uh, unpredictable team to try and second-guess right now because they were terrific when beating City. Obviously, beat Chelsea and West Ham relatively comfortably in the end uh, at the Tottenham Hotspur, Hotspur Stadium but then just no shows at Sheffield United yes rotated team but even still and that then... was that was wild why would you do that a team that never wins anything who could get to the quarterfinals of an FA Cup with big teams who've been knocked out why would you rest players doesn't make any sense yeah the fans agree and um you know I think there's a relationship there which is starting to break down if it's not broken already between uh, the supporters and the, the coaching team right now. And there's obviously strong rumours that Antonio Conte won't be the Tottenham Hotspur manager next season. People are starting to harp on about getting Pochettino back into the club. And it feels like they do need a bit of a, a gear change or a, a shift in in um, just morale off the pitch, really, to just something to believe in again. Um, I thought they were pretty bland at Wolves. Uh, the, the numbers were, were pretty good, but a lot of their efforts came from sort of non-threatening areas. Uh, and they were absolutely awful away at Milan in the first leg. Um, mm. I guess the common denominator out of all of this is Spurs have turned up at home and really put their best foot forward, but it's not been the case on the road. Uh, on the first leg, you know, they went in with injuries and suspensions. Um, I still expected them to rise to the occasion, playing away in San Siro in a, in a knockout tie. They should have really relished that environment, but they were so passive and, and lacking in direction and leadership and just looked leggy and, and lethargic, really. And um, So a lot of uh, games like that, a lot yeah. of games where... You just nothing for big swathes of the game and there's no excuse for them to look tired because the whole thing about Conte is he manages it so that they're at this part of the season they've got those fitness levels but something's gone wrong somewhere yeah yeah absolutely and the most alarming thing for me was just they looked incapable of changing the flow of that game uh, the front men were completely starved of service and you know, we've often said, or I have at least, that the the front the front line they got there as as good as any Europe, yeah. really. Um, I thought Saar played well considering the circumstances. Ollie Skip's come in and, and done pretty well. Um, just his sort of uh, inclusions kind of 
come at the same time that Hoiberg's form has dropped off a little bit as well. Milan rose to the occasion. They were worthy winners. But if anything, you know, Pioli was frustrated. The margin of victory wasn't more. They had some good opportunities, particularly in the second half with close range hedges. Um, but yeah, you know, they followed up. Obviously, that came with a, a change in system and, and they have changed their system to a three at the back of Milan this calendar year to try and arrest this poor form. And it started to work. They beat Monza, beat Atalanta, which is a great result, but were well beaten by Fiorentina at the weekend. And maybe that's a bit of a jolt for them. They pretty, fielded pretty much their, their best 11 for that occasion as well. Um, so I'd say both sides come in off the back of poor results or poor performances. Neither side is scoring or creating fluently. Um, but I actually thought Tottenham at evens was was fine. Um, they're chasing the tie at home. Three big successive wins here in the Premier League. Their top level is a level above what Milan can go to. Obviously, we have to hope that they can get there. But um, I thought 50% chance that Spurs win this second leg. Forget that they can qualify or not. Just to, just to win the second leg in 90 minutes was was fine. Um, and sort of despite the issues that both teams have encountered in forward areas um, and the way in which the first leg played out, I thought the goal line looked a little bit low here for a, a knockout tie second leg. We can get two and a quarter goals, over two and a quarter goals at 1.8, which means if there's exactly two, you get half your stake back uh, and paid out if there's three or more. Across the last three Champions League came, campaigns, if we look at second leg last 16 ties, all bar one has featured at least two goals in the second leg. So 18 of those 24 ties actually saw over two and a half goals bank as well. So, you know, if you get an early goal here, there's no reason why this couldn't liven up or or, or produce what I hoped would be a, an exciting first leg, at least in the second leg, because there is a lot of attacking talent on show. Uh, Eric Dyer is missing for Spurs as well. It must be said he's suspended. Um, but um, yeah, obviously a tricky game, but I thought those two angles were reasonable enough at a reasonable prices. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one, this, because, uh, again, as I alluded to earlier on with Chelsea at home to Dortmund, if Spurs are terrible in the first half, could get... I mean, Spurs Spurs fans are good. They do tend to try and stick with the team. But it, if it's nil-nil or if Milan get the first goal, it might be quite difficult to win them back. Definitely, yeah. It's kind of... I find I find Spurs a baffling side. Like, they... I, I tipped them up for the, the Champions League in, in the kind of preview show. And they're, they're just... And they went out and lost, lost a 4-1 uh, to Leicester the, the next game. Just to like, be but, fair, that was before Bensoncourt got injured as well, which is enormous, isn't it, really? I, I think so, yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'm glad you're making my excuses for myself to do it myself. Um, that's my job. <laughs> that's your job, yeah. Um, but, like, the... It's... Yeah, I think Bensoncourt is definitely a significant loss. I... I just, yeah, I'd, I'd kind of, I think this is just, a, it's a game between two kind of middling and hard to predict sides. But as Mark said, I think Spurs' top level is just simply better than Milan's. I think like Milan, I think looking at their, their likely front three of this game is probably Leao, Giroud and Krunic. And so you're probably talking one out of three players there, I think is the Champions League level attacker at this point of their career. That's, that's, that's Leao. Again, for all the praise that was points uh, put on Ali Giroud in the in the World Cup, like when you're playing away from home, it's hard to have a guy who can't run up front. Like in, in, in club football, international football is different because you can. It's it's a lot more kind of it's a slower game, and your kind of Giroud strengths in terms of kind of his his kind of heading ability against teams that sit deep is kind of more valuable. But I do think in these kind of games where I think Spurs will have Milan under pressure, I think you'd want a kind of a kind of a quicker quicker forward to kind of get you out of trouble. Um, and I would kind of I'd lean Spurs the match, but I just I found an angle I liked here was just. 
uh, Milan's weaknesses at set pieces. So Milan have conceded the second most goals of any team in Serie A from set plays. In the first leg in this tie, Eric Dyer had three shots. He went really close. Obviously, as Mark said, Dyer is suspended here. But the just if I think Spurs' probably best set piece threat would be Clement Longley. He's already scored in the Champions League this year. He's 13 to 1 to score any time and 4 to 1 to have a shot on target in the sports book. I think you'd probably get a better price than to score any time as well if you look at the exchange before the match you might get maybe 17.0 so that's that's the angle I like here and a kind of a, a game that's tricky to call Jake which one which way do you see this one going um I I understand where Mark's coming from in terms of the goals but I just I can't see this Tottenham team scoring like they, they are to say you know on paper their firepower is you know I think we'd all agree it's really good it's at this kind of level it's you know it's extremely dangerous but they're just not performing. They're just not creating chances. And if you don't create chances, then your chance of scoring obviously decrease and your chance of progressing decrease. And, you know, since the restarts, there's a decent body of work. And it's <clears throat> 12 or 13 games across the Premier League and Champions League. You need more of that water, Jake. Um, I'd, maybe, yeah. I'm running out, actually. I've got a little... How can you be running out? It's the biggest bottle anybody's ever seen. Need to fill it up, yeah. Um, but yeah, since the restart, Spurs, they've generated just 1.1 expected goals for per game, um, which is pathetic, really, given that the, you know, the, the Canes, the Kulosevskis, the Richarlisons, the Sons, like they're all fit. They're all, you know, they're all back in action. They're all there. But they're just, just, just for whatever reason, that system's just not suiting the players right now. They're not. Well, they don't get the ball to them half the time. That's the, that's the issue, isn't it? The creativity behind those forward players. You can have the best players in the world up front all you like but if you can't get the ball to them it's not gonna work exactly and, and that's one of the reasons why i just can't get on board with them in this game and, and why i can't get on board with the goals is, is purely because you've got a game dynamic which doesn't suit tottenham they like to sit back and counter-attack but they can't do that in this game they've actually got to be the aggressors and take the game to milan and actually score and generally we very rarely see them do that very rarely do we see them play front foot and take the game to opponents and create chances because they, they've got not they've not got the creative you know the creativity from the midfield or the quality from the fullbacks to be able to unlock defenses that sit deep and I fully expect Milan to sit deep because they have got threats on the counter attack so I think this this game sets up perfectly for Milan um, and it's a Milan team who I know they got beat at the weekend but defensively they've looked much sharper. Of late, uh, and then they had a little wobble post restart. But if you look at the last six matches across the Serie A and Champions League, so even if we include the Fiorentina game at the weekend where they conceded, I think it was 1.9 xG, they've actually allowed only 0.76 expected goals against per game over that six game span. Um, and they've all they've played into Milan in that time and they've played Tottenham. So, they've, you know, it's, it's a small sample, but you've, they've played a couple of really tough, tough teams that are probably just slightly above their level. And they performed really well in terms of you know, limiting the, the amount of chances. So I, I think Milan have got um, more than enough to, to frustrate Spurs. I don't trust Spurs to go here and score a couple of goals. Uh, the flip side, Spurs have looked better at the back as well themselves. Last six matches, 0.85 expected goals against per game. So I, I just, you know, I, I don't think this game suits Tottenham. And, and Tottenham being the aggressors, I think it's it, it's... I personally would love to see a change in tactics and formation for this Tottenham team because I'm sick of seeing the same 3-4-3 where you, you've lost the best playmaker that. in midfielder. There's nobody advancing, progressing the ball and into dangerous areas quick enough because you haven't got the quality to do that. So mix it up. Try something different. You know, Rather than doing the same thing, you know, it's the same, you bang your head against the wall. 
do something different, try something different. And, you know, maybe you might get a positive result. But if they set up in the same formation, the same system, the same style, uh, you know, they might still win the game. They might win the game one nil, whatever. But I just I don't see it being a high scoring game. Um, and I think we might have to wait a while for the first goal. The other bit I actually just caught my eye, um, just flicking through, just to, just based on raw numbers, was Rafael Leal to be carded at thirteen to five. He's got nearly as many cards as he has goals in Serie A this season, which I thought was interesting. He's got seven yellow cards and eight goals. So you know he's known for his attacking talent, his flair, his creativity, his goal scoring. But he has got that little bit of you know nastiness if you like that yeah. gamesmanship yeah. where he will happily if someone runs past him he'll just give them a tug back um stop the, the his opponent from progressing so yeah 13 to 5 looks interesting i think it's turpan clement turpan who's the, the the man in the center um and he you know i think he was recently in charge of the Barca v man united game where there was six yellow cards flash so uh, i definitely think we could see quite a few cards in this game i think both teams have got players that are really really strong candidates for those kind of Dark arts, um, housery, whatever you want to call it, um, and we, yeah, I, I think I think cards will be an angle I'd go down as well. But I, I just think we're probably going to see more cards and goals. Well, this football season, get a helping hand with Betfair's popular bet builder. Easily add our most popular or fan favourite football selections to your bet slip in just one tap. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus. See gambleaware.org. Arguably the most fascinating tie of the week sees Bayern Munich try and defend a 1 0 first leg lead, a home to Paris Saint Germain. Kylian Mbappe, now Paris Saint Germain's top scorer of all time. Emmett, he could be the key to the whole tie. Yeah, I think this is a really, really interesting tie. I think the, I think for for many reasons, but one thing I think is interesting is I think the worst thing that happened to Bayern Munich was Neymar getting injured. I think I think that I think PSG are a stronger unit with him out there from a purely like you don't need to be a mathematician to know that eight is eight is eight is bigger than seven, and it's just in modern football trying to defend and have a kind of a team's proper team structure with seven players being given that that three won't defend is just really difficult when Neymar doesn't play. Just having be able to kind of defend with eight players, it's just I think it's a lot easier for PSG to kind of maybe to build a kind of a, a kind of a team that can at least counter attack well and 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 and, and, and less kind of Messi and Mbappe to their own devices. Again, I'm I'm a kind of a numbers guy, like so I don't usually buy into this stuff, but I don't know if the listeners might have kind of followed some of the aftermath of that kind of PSG Bayern tie. Basically, in the kind of lead up to the tie, there was a newspaper report that. The kind of neighbor, Neymar's neighbor, Neymar's neighbors were complaining that he was having too many parties, and after the kind of the, the PS after the after the after the first leg, and Kylian Mbappe was basically said that if we can all kind of sleep, if we could all kind of eat well and sleep well, we'll have a chance of the second leg. Clearly aimed at Neymar, even though he denied it. And then after the after the game, Neymar was out then that night at a poker tournament, and in, and, and, in, and in and in McDonald's late that night. So it's just like, again, listen, no judgment on Neymar here, like. A, a poker tournament and uh, and a late night with sounds like a great time, but it's just like <laughs> that's just it's, that's that's just not great for morale. It is just isn't like it's just not it's just not what you want to do. And I think the I, I think in terms of as a team, in terms of unity, and just in, and just in terms of defensive structure, I think P, PSG are far more dangerous in in their current iteration. I think it was it's me. It's no coincidence that we saw the best PSG performance of the season by far when the when, when they battered Marseille at the Velodrome. Yeah, and, 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 and they did a decent way at the weekend. I think they're I, they're a live dog in this tie. Like I think the if I was if I was kind of betting on the match betting. 
I would, I'd, I'd, prob, I'd probably lean their way to be honest at 11 to 4. Bayern have, have really good strength and depth. I just, we've seen a bit of volatility in performance this year. And I just, it would, it would worry me from a Bayern point of view, just like the two best players on the field would be on PSG side. And if PSG can kind of defend reasonably well, I don't trust Pamacano and Delict to hold out Mbappe. And I think we saw, I saw recently in the la, in, in the end of January when Bayern played Eintracht Frankfurt, Randall Colomwani, who's a kind of a poor man's version of Mbappe, gave them absolute fits. And kind of both centre-backs were carded in that game. Yeah. And so that, that's an angle I like as well. If you look, look I think they're both... Um, you can get around kind of and the late 11 to 4 Pamacano's close to 5-2 to be carded I think that's definitely worth including in a kind of a bet builder I think both I think both defenders can be a bit rash and the certainly kind of struggles for pace the other card angle I like here as well is Nuno Mendes for PSG up, up against Kingsley Coman Coman's in red hot form and is a really kind yeah. of strong dribbling player and like a lot of modern fullbacks no more Nuno Mendes is kind of the epitome of a guy who's better going forward than he is going back as we saw when he was kind of at, at fault for um, at fault for Bayern's goal in the first leg, so I think yeah, he, he, I think he, he's around again eleven to four to be card that looks fair. If you want to put on, so delict for an egg dream big delict a Pamacano and you know Mendes all to be carded is around fifty to one as well. So I think that's that's definitely worth a couple of quid as well. And what should be a really a really outstanding time. Yeah, Jake, I can only really see Bayern stopping Mbappe with some kind of tripwire or other trap because the way they play, and they're pretty uncompromising with this, is that high line. And they basically say to Upamecano and Delict, look, you deal with it. Uh, and they don't have Benjamin Pavard. And I know Pavard hasn't always been brilliant, but actually in the last few weeks he has. And Nagelsmann said that he felt he'd been their most stable player in 2023. So not having him due to suspension is a massive problem. It is, yeah, but I'm firmly of the thought that Bayern Munich are the better team um, in attack and defence. And, you know, I know I I get Emmett's point about no Neymar perhaps helping PSG in the sense that they can actually play with a proper structure rather than, um, you know, three are doing what they want. But I just don't trust this PSG defence. I don't trust it even more than I don't trust the Bayern Munich defence. I think I think we'll see an entertaining game. I think there'll be more goals in this one than, than in the first leg. But, you know, you look at PSG since the restart, they've been all over the place in Liga. You know, they, they've they've conceded 1.35 expected goals against per game in Liga, um, which is really high compared to previous years. I think usually they're around the 0.9 mark. So you've seen... They are more vulnerable than in recent years. And, and even you know, if you look away from home, they've lost three of five away from home. They've conceded 1.6 expected goals against per game. Um, and you know, th- those games, I think, are a decent gauge for this, or decent, or close, as close a gauge as you're going to get for this, because they've played four of the top five. They obviously sit top of the league in the game, but they've played away at Rennes, they've played away at Monaco, they've played away at Marseille, played away at Lons. Um, you know, they were good against Marseille, but Marseille racked up over two expe- nearly two expected goals in that game. So they had the chances. Um, Lons did the same. Um, was it Monaco racked up over three expected goals? So they are extremely vulnerable when traveling. Um, and you know, I, I just think this Bayern Munich team playing at home will have no problems picking them off. Um, PSG, they're going to have to at some point go for it. They're going to have to play front foot. They're going to have to take the game to Bayern Munich. We know that they can. We know they've got the quality to do so, but they're going to leave holes at the back. And I just think Bayern are just a little bit too cute. Um, and 
Yeah, I think Bayern Munich to win. I think they're winning 90 minutes. I think 1.85 is, is a fair price. I'd probably make it 1.8. That's probably what I'd go down to, to win in 90 minutes. I do think there is a gulf here. Um, and then just a second bet, another card bet, player card. Um, Mbappe to be carded looks look pretty big at 12 to 5. You know, we talk about petulance uh, with Rafael Leal. Mbappe's got this in spades. Like he is, you know, arms thrown up. He'll quite flying late to tackles. Uh, he'll talk back at the referee. Um, you know, and he's got a really bad disciplinary record. You know, I think that last season in Liga, and he picked up 10 yellow cards. The season before, it was seven. So, you know, he's a guy who does, doesn't shy away from picking up um, those cards. And, and 12 to 5 looks looks pretty big. And if you want a bigger, then combine an Mbappe goal with an Mbappe card. Because, I, like I said, I think it'd be high scoring. I can see this being a 3-2 kind of game. And, and if PSG had scored a couple, you'd expect him to be on the end of one of them. Yeah, Mark, we thought there might be goals ahead of the first leg. And we had this very strange performance where Paris kind of just tried to shut the game down until Mbappe was fit enough to come on, which is a really weird approach. Like Messi was really deep, didn't really get involved. I don't think Bayern could believe their luck that they were just allowed to dominate the ball and allowed to kind of set the tempo in the way that they wanted. I don't think that's going to necessarily happen with Mbappe and the Paris team. So that lends itself to goals, do you think? I do, yeah. The first leg definitely didn't play out in terms of what we expected. And I'm not really sure why PSG adopted such a passive approach, actually. Uh, they were happy to cede possession and try and play on the counter-attack, even though Mbappe was on the bench. Um, it was really weird. They had no pace in behind. So stupid. <laughs> so, they just so went, puzzling. oh, we can, we can hit them in behind their high line. With who? With <laughs> yeah. who? Neymar won't run. Surprise, surprise, Mbappe comes on they, and they, yeah. suddenly they get put the skids up by and they dominate that last half hour and really could have completely changed the game entirely, really. Um, dramatic mood shift and gear shift. Um, the tempo has increased, the pressure they put on. I think it was just a, a welcome reminder that they, they are and can be a force to be reckoned with. Um, so, yeah, I don't think this tie is, is dead at all. Um, I'd be more on the on the lines with, with Emmett in terms of, I, I think, PSG at 3-1 to one on the exchange to, to win. Uh, looks more attractive to me than back in Bayern at, at 1.85. Um, I, I agree as well about Neymar's absence. You know, we, we know he's a world beater, but PSG are a more rounded outfit when there's, there's only two of those players, superstar players in attack. They've got more energy, more shape out of possession yeah. um, and more devastating in four, four areas without him. The Classique was a, a great example, playing 3-5-2. They switched the system. Messi and Mbappe led the line. They were mesmeric in that first half hour. Absolutely cut Marseille to ribbons, scored three goals inside the first 30 minutes. And the funny thing is, you know, Marseille did play well, but they just couldn't live with them. Um, I think Kempe's injury does disrupt things a little bit. Um, so you're looking at probably Danilo Pereira to come into that that back three here. Uh, Hakimi's unavailable. Mukiele's not the worst sort of um, replacement. But, you know, you compare where PSG were going into that first leg, where Gautier got his team selection and his tactics wrong, playing a 4-4-2 with Zaire, Emery and Soler on the wings. It didn't work at all. Mad. Soler looked totally lost on that yeah. left-hand side. And he's quite a good player, but he's just wasted there. Yeah, exactly. So I think we're, we're, we're more than likely to see a much better PSG here. They are dangerous for all the reasons the guys have outlined already and yourself, Kev, as well. So, um, yeah, the market is expecting goals. I expect goals as well. Um, I think we can just follow the same sort of approach we did for Dortmund-Leipzig if you wanted to get 1.8, which is over two and a half goals, BTTS and a goal to be scored in both halves. I think that looks fair enough. But um, I actually think Mbappe to score at any time at 2.63 is is a very appealing price. Yeah. Put the fear of life into that defence in that last half hour. He's fit, king of the castle now with his 
with his record. He's in form. Um, you know, he can do damage against any defence, let alone a high line. So um, I think that's a, a great price. Uh, and also, I uh, like the evens. Sorry, now it's six to five actually, two point two on uh, Verratti to be uh, to commit at least one foul. Jao Cancelo to commit at least one foul. He'll be playing right back probably. I assume Kev without Pavard. I think so. It's a bit yeah. Without Pavard, I think so. It's been quite interesting. They've. They've had a couple of games recently where I thought Joao Cancelo would start. He got hooked at half-time against Paris in the first leg and they brought Alfonso Davies on on the left and they switched Coman to the right. And he's played, he played Stanisic at the weekend. So I think Joao Cancelo will start. That makes sense. But there's something already gone a bit awry there and I'm not quite sure what it is. But yeah, I would think he would start. Yeah, probably one to, to wait until team news. The prices won't move dramatically beforehand. But Verratti, we know all about him. If Shao Cancelo does start at right back, yes, get him to commit at least one foul. And Delict for the same reasons that Emmett's already mentioned. Uh, and all three of them, just to commit at least one foul, comes in at 6-5, 2.2, which uh, is quite attractive considering who they're up against and, and the situation that they're in, involved in. A big fan of some of those selections. That Mbappe price is, is far too big. So uh, I would get involved in that. Worth bearing in mind, by the way, you can take advantage of our Bet 10 Get 2 offer. If you bet £10, you get a £2 free bet to use on football lackers and bet builders. You have to opt in before placing your qualifying bet. T's and C's apply 18 plus cgambleaware.com. Org. Now to the Europa League, two English clubs still involved. Manchester United take on Betis on Thursday. They're 1.45 to win that first leg. The question is, Mark O'Hare, how do you respond to being humiliated 7-0 at Anfield by your most bitter rivals? It's, yeah, I wish I had the answer to that, to be honest. Um you know, do we write off everything we've seen from United from September to March because of that result? No, I don't think you can, but you've got to be concerned. You've got to be concerned about the collapse uh, in the second half and you've got to be concerned about a collection of senior players who lose their heads. Um, it's not the first time United have collapsed in a big away day or at least failed to perform in a big away day. Um, I guess in hindsight, you could say the result um, might have been coming, not the actual 7-0, but a defeat was <laughs> was coming uh, because the schedule has been so hard for United. Um, it was their 20th game since Christmas in a 68-day schedule. That's a game every 3.4 days on average. Um, you know, very, very difficult to and taxing schedule. And you've, uh, you know, even if you're resting and rotating, it's, it's hard. Um, so, you know, obviously you've got to go again on Thursday night against the Betis team who have no Nabil Fakir, which is a blow, but uh, a Betis team who are capable. We saw that, uh, watched their game against Real Madrid, the 0-0. Great entertainment, wasn't really a goal, a straw kind of game. Uh, they performed very well and can be very competitive. But I guess United are back at Old Trafford with something to prove. You expect a response. I'd say they weren't great against West Ham. They did make changes in the FA Cup last midweek. So um, still not completely ready to sort of trust them at 1.45 quotes. Uh, I guess the flip side is they did dump out La Liga's best team over two legs and were pretty impressive in doing so against Barcelona. So um, I guess depending on team news, um, I'm, I'm not too keen on getting involved in this game bar a potential bet builder where you could look at Marcus Rashford to have a shot on target. Again, um, both teams to be carded uh, and Borussia uh, Inglésias to commit at least one foul. Um, you know, the panda up front for Betis um, puts himself about a bit. Uh, he would have seen that on Sunday night against Real Madrid. I think he collected three or four fouls and a yellow card. Very physical guy. Uh, he will charge around and, and put his foot in and he, I think he'll relish the, the occasion too. So, um, yeah, I don't have a price for that because the, the the odds aren't straight up, but it should be close to, to evens or at least just below. 
Yeah, Emmett, that was uh, a bitter, bitter blow for United on Sunday. Obviously, we're all a bit shocked by the nature of it. Uh, are you more alarmed by the way United turned it in, in in that last half hour or so? Because that was, you can lose at Anfield, that can happen to you. Liverpool showed what they're capable of. You know, anybody could lose at Anfield. But to lose 7-0 and give away some of the really dreadful goals they did towards the end, that was alarming. Yeah, it's tough. Um, I watched this game with a, a kind of a rabid Liverpoolers fan in a, in a poll. It was just like one of these times where you just want to be, you want to be home. And I want to, I want to be kind of, get, get, want to be transported. Any, any, I, 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 you go and watch a humiliating like defeat like that in public. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think like it's, I, I kind of, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm torn because I do think in modern football the nature of it with playing high lines, I think it does lend itself to more of those hammerings and kind of. We see, I think, again, like we, like we saw under Solskjaer, you know, he got beaten, I think it was 6-1 by Mourinho's Tottenham, like the, and then like subsequently had a good run after that. I do think just modern football lends itself to more of those kind of strange results. So I, but, but you having said that, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean it's kind of, it's okay or kind of, or, 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 or kind of, or, you know, you didn't really kind of mentally collapse. Um I like, like Mark outlined all the games United have played. It's something that has concerned me as well. It's just that ultimately, uh, that, that that could this game see the start of a, a kind of a schedule based slide? And like, and the reality is, United squad is not that strong. We saw that against West Ham that they needed the kind of the Casemiro, Rashford to come off the bench to kind of get the win. And it is, I think that there is. I, well, you don't want to reach too much into one game, but I do think there is potential for United to really drop off based on the schedule. I, it may, it may lead to an higher tag. I think probably having to question how strong the team United are playing in the Europa League and the FA Cup. Like you know, he played basically a first choice team against kind of Reading in the FA Cup, which kind of raised eyebrows at me. Like it's just like it, it's hard to rely on on the kind of the on on the same players the rest of the season, especially kind of in a kind of a World Cup kind of condensed year. So. Like the, the worry for me could this be the part of United slide, and I think I think that's we'll kind of see the evidence in, in, in the kind of weeks to come. Um, this game specifically, I think just it's noticeable that Betis are, are kind of a, are kind of a really their their matches tend to be really open affairs. Since Christmas, they've scored the third most goals in La Liga, but they've also conceded the sixth most. So again, I think we should be, and as Mark said, they're nil all with Real uh, at the weekend. was really a nil all type of game. The, the, the XG figures were quite high. So I think pretty high, high score. If you're looking for a bet builder, maybe both teams just go around four to five. Looks, looks makes a bit of appeal to me. I think this probably could be kind of a maybe a, kind of a, a, a two one, two one unconvincing United win. And I think definitely if you're looking for an angle, maybe the, the, the better goals be the way to look. If and kind of, you know, it could be in a kind of a frail psychological place after the weekend. And Jake, let's wrap up with you with Arsenal because they boosted their Premier League title push with an amazing comeback win over Bournemouth. They go to the Portuguese capital to take on Sporting. Arsenal, the 2.2 favourites. That makes sense. I accept that. But this feels a bit dangerous because Sporting can't get anywhere near winning the league. They're pushing for a Champions League spot. But this is probably one of their most important games of the season and they have already done fairly well against Tottenham. Yeah, it does feel like a bit of a trappy tie um, for Arsenal and I guess the big caveat is motivation um, from an Arsenal perspective. You laid out there why Sporting will be extremely motivated to get through this given the fact that they are way out of the race um, for the title in Portugal. They're also in a battle just finishing the Champions League spots. Um, 
and Arsenal, obviously, they're, they're still going great guns in the league. They're, they're top and, you know, playing Thursday, Sunday is not ideal coming down the home stretch. So I'd be really intrigued to see what kind of team selection Arteta puts out in this game, because I think that will tell us what we need to know about where his mind is in terms of how seriously he wants to take this competition. Um, you know, we, we've seen them already kind of play weakened teams in both the, well, mainly in the Carabao, get knocked out um, against it, City in the in the FA Cup. It was a, you know, there was a couple of plays that he left out, uh, but I don't think they were too angry about going out of that cup. I think their their main focus is the league, so that that's the main reason why I'm hesitant to get involved with them uh, at two point two. Um, if if I knew for a fact that Arsenal would be playing a full strength team, then two point two would be you know an absolute cracking price to back Arsenal because they are playing at such a high level. Um, as it stands, though, I I'm I'm really hesitant to try and have a any kind of feel for this game uh if i if i was to, to have a lean it would be towards the under that i think sporting will try and make this quite tight um and low scoring uh, i just can't see it being very high scoring at all but yeah it, it it's a no bet from me i just think it's there's too many too many question marks around arsenal's motivation really um as, I, as i've spoken about so i was quite happy just to leave that one alone just have a watching brief and, and you know reassess out of the second leg and just very, very quickly before the end, Mark, did you have any kind of top line bet from this that you wanted to push? Just sporting plus half a goal. Um, I'd be absolutely staggered if Arsenal went there and played a full strength 11. There was a bit of rotation against Bournemouth. Um, fully expect more of the same on Thursday night. We've been talking about how fortunate they've been with injuries this season, being able to select basically the same 11 for the majority of their Premier League games. So no real needs and real reason to sort of rock that boat and, and make those changes because uh, clearly the Premier League is the number one target. And as you guys have said, Sporting, I think, five points shy of Braga in the Champions League race in, in the top three, which is a, a huge, huge um, thing for Sporting. They need to get into Europe or at least the Champions League. So, um, yeah, they're not going to win the Europa League. I'd be very surprised if they did, but that is a target for them. So, yeah, just uh, <laughs> unless Arsenal field the first 11, as I say, I'd be shocked if they do. So, Sporting plus half a goal. That's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Our usual domestic previews will be up and running later this week. And of course, it's the Cheltenham Festival later this month. So keep an eye out for our podcasts and indeed our written previews on our website, betting.betfair.com. From Jake, from Mark, from Emmett and from me. It's goodbye for now.